0: Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast Episode 6. My name is Alina Warwick and I'm super excited to have Vladimir Gendelman on my show. This episode is super special to me because he's also from the former Soviet Union just like I am. His company is called Company Folders and they're all about commercial printing that includes folders, binders, brochures, Custom made designs, etc. He started his business from the ground up, and not only was his company featured in Inc.com as one of the fastest growing companies, but now his revenue is in the millions. But, guys, just wait until the very end where Vladimir talks about his bulletproof coffee, what he puts in it, and how it powers him through the day. So let's dive in, get your notes out, because this episode is so powerful. Okay, Vladimir,
1: thank you so much for coming on to my show. I'm super excited to talk to you about your immigrant journey. How are you doing today?
2: Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm very excited. Um, And I'm doing great. Uh, We we had uh, the weather turned for the worst last Uh week. Today it's mid-60s, sunny, beautiful, and uh, yeah, exciting for the day.
1: Amazing. Where are you located?
2: I'm in, uh, so our office is in Pontiac, Michigan, which is a Detroit area.
1: Let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the state?
2: So I was born in Kharkov, Ukraine, and we left. So it was an interesting thing. We left in December of 1989, and then as most... um, Jewish refugees of that time, we had to uh, spend some time in Austria and then spend some time in Italy, which uh, back then seemed, you know, scary uh, and unknown. But in retrospect, it was probably the best six months of my life. I shouldn't say the best six months of my life, but it was an amazing time uh, because mm-hmm. we got to experience two countries, learn mm-hmm. a little bit of. German and Italian, and game experiences that, besides being fun, actually taught me a lot of even entrepreneurship uh, uh, going forward. And I came to uh, Detroit in May of 1990.
1: And how old were you when you came to the States?
2: So I came here and I turned 16 a month later.
1: Okay. And did you come with your family?
2: I came with my parents.
1: Mm. and did you guys have any relatives friends anyone here
2: we did we did we um we had a family friends who we actually left harkov on the same bus with them Mm -hmm. and they had relatives here so because of that their immigration process went quicker and they came to this area, I want to say, um, March, and then they applied, they did whatever they had to do. And they, because of that, we ended up in Detroit and we were able to stay in their apartment, uh, the first week until we found our own.
1: Awesome. So what was it like growing up in Ukraine?
2: What was it like growing up in Ukraine? <laughs> wow. Um, that's a little good question. <laughs> so it was fun. I would say that I had a lot of, I had a lot of friends, uh, and of course I had a lot of not friends. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say enemies, just not friends. But I guess the one thing I didn't realize as much at the time that came to me later after I came here is the lack of choices and options in Ukraine. Well, forget about Ukraine. The whole Soviet Union, due to um, it being, you know, they called it communism or socialism or whatever they Mm -hmm. called it, it wasn't that. They were trying to build it. But through that, everything was government-owned. Therefore, there really was no private property, in terms of, you know, business and uh, entrepreneurship. And because of that, there was no competition because government owned everything and government doesn't have to compete with itself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, because of that, there was no variety of products. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I mean by that is we had a set of wallpaper, for example, right?
1: Oh, it yes. The wallpaper.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so there might be five variations of wallpaper. Two of five would be so horrible that nobody would buy it. So now you're down to three that were commonly used. And you go to all of your friends' houses, or I should say apartments, because we lived in apartments, um, and you see the same wallpaper, mm-hmm. right? One of those three. And of course, the same thing applied to furniture and cutlery and plates and dishes and clothing and on and on and on and on.
1: So there were no supermarkets.
2: Well, there was some kind of version of a supermarket, but you kind of had one or two of each as opposed to 100 different cheeses or,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. you know, 57 different salamis. Mm -hmm. Um, that did not exist. Um, So I guess the biggest thing is I never really understood how that impacted me when we lived in Ukraine, just because it was what it was. But I guess something happened when I came here uh, and actually realized it. I I, I realized that not only that people don't have choices and options, um, but through that people cannot really express themselves mm. right if, if you and anything out of the norm and norm would be what everybody else did anything outside of that norm was by default bad i remember a story that um, this one guy um, decided to um, he shaved his head and he left a little bit of hair in the front and kind of <laughs> It was his style or whatever you want to call it. Uh, He was trying to really express himself. But by doing that, and what happened was some street hooligans uh, saw him and they beat him up so badly that that guy or really anybody else around figured that expressing yourself is just not a good thing. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what was drilled in us. I think Mm.
1: it's so powerful to see how people grew up in that environment and how it shapes their minds growing up in that. Um, tell me a little bit about your struggles and how you, when you first immigrated to the States, what types of struggles did you
0: go through?
2: Well, first of all, I did not know that I was struggling in Mm. retrospect. Everything was a struggle. At the time, it was what it was. We came here. We had no money. Let me see if I can remember it exactly. I want to say we had $474.
1: So that's less than when my parents came because my parents had $600 in their pocket.
2: Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all that the government allowed us to take out at the time. Wow. However... Uh, When we were in Austria and Italy, I actually did a bit of a hustle. And through that, I made money. I couldn't tell you exactly how much I made. But after I spent whatever I spent, and, you know, it was mostly ice cream, candy, uh, (laughs) video games, and I always bought chocolate or ice cream on the way home every day. Um, So after all of that... I was actually able to bring $600 of my own to America, wow. and I used that to buy my first car. But I mean, the language was the str- was a struggle. Lack of clothing that makes you look like everybody else was a struggle. Not understanding this way of life was a struggle. Seeing people expressing themselves in some way was also a struggle, right? At the time, it didn't seem that. I was just kind of observant, trying to Mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. But yes, none of that was familiar. None of that was normal to me at the time. But I got to be honest with you, the the thing that really did a trick for me then, I don't know if trick is the right way to say it, but (laughs) is the benevolence of people. And When we came here, somebody donated furniture, somebody donated dishes and other things, even clothing, and other things that we needed. And in Soviet Union, there was no benevolence. There was no donation, right? Like, you just don't do that because government takes care of everything. And... We actually believed at the time that the reason people donate is because they actually have some kind of gain out of it.
3: Wow.
2: Which was explained to us by somebody else, probably in the same situation, that, you know, they get tax deduction. And of course, nobody understood what that was. So I just <laughs> that somehow they get paid for things they donate.
1: That's so interesting.
2: And then we learned that there are people who also donate their time, right? For example, mm-hmm. going to the hospital when we didn't speak English, there would be a translator that some, sometimes would be paid person and sometimes it would be a volunteer. So we also thought that volunteer would be somebody who gets some other gain out of it mm. under the pretense of being volunteer. Mm. And it did not sink in for a long time that people would do those things out of the goodness of their heart.
1: Wow, that's so powerful. Yeah. So were you raised in an entrepreneur family? Did your parents give you any wise advice regarding entrepreneurial successes?
2: They did. They did. My mom told me on numerous occasions that we have no entrepreneurs in our family wow they tried once or twice and lost money our family is not meant to be entrepreneurial and i should not even try wow that's all i got
1: so before you tell our listeners about how your company, tell me a little bit about the path you took. Did you try to go into any other fields before your business?
2: I did. So when we first came here, obviously I needed the money and I got part-time job working at Ice Arena cleaning bathrooms. Then I worked at uh, Lechki, you know, the uh, after-school program with kids, mm-hmm. little kids, Um, then a series of few other jobs, and then I got a job in sales and that's where I really liked or or learned and enjoyed selling and when I mean selling I mean everything Um, so I sold all sorts of things door to door such as fake colognes uh, (laughs) pictures for offices some other (laughs) things and then eventually, uh, somehow, I got a job selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. Mm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those. Yes. So Kirby vacuum cleaners are only sold door to door by people. At the time, it was like thirteen or $1,400. And we're talking about mid-90s, give or take. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and your job was to get into people's house, no matter what it takes. And do the presentation that takes about an hour, and get people to give you whatever it was—thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars—for the vacuum cleaner. You just show them.
1: Wasn't there also a rainbow vacuum cleaner too? It was kind of like there a was competitor.
2: A there yes. was Also, uh, Virginia, some other one. There was few very expensive ones on the market at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Kirby actually did work, unlike others.
1: <laughs> Good times.
2: Yeah. Um, The big challenge with the job was that I did not believe in the product much. Not that I did not believe in the product. I just couldn't fathom paying that kind of money for a vacuum cleaner because I did not have that kind of money, right? So I just couldn't relate. And nevertheless, I was able to sell some and and then I moved on to a pawn shop and, and then a few other sales jobs. And then eventually I got a job at... Clyde's Carpet, where I sold carpet. And that was 100% commission uh, inside sales. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I did that for probably four or five years. And then I became a programmer, software developer. And I worked as a programmer until I started my own gig. How, yeah. did, you,
1: how did you go from selling vacuum cleaners to programming? Because that's completely different.
2: That is completely different. But uh, somehow, I figured that becoming a programmer will expose me to a future somehow. I wasn't sure exactly what that would look like but I figured that if I learn how to make websites that, you know, we're still talking about late nineties, um, that were kind of uncharted territory because the internet was kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knew what they were doing. Older generation they had no clue, <laughs> but I felt that it somehow is the right thing to do for me. Got so it. I became got a it. programmer.
1: So then, how long were you a programmer until you decided to open up your company?
2: So what happened was when I became a programmer, you know, I obviously had to take uh, classes and all that, and uh, and and I became a programmer, which meant that I really knew how a computer works from the software perspective, mm-hmm. but I really had no clue how a computer, or not much of a clue, how a computer works from. Uh, hardware perspective. So at that point, I had a choice. I could either, you know, read tons of books and learn the hardware side of things, or I could just start a business fixing computers. And through that, I would learn and it would Mm -hmm. be more fun. And, you know, by then I already had some entrepreneurial uh, gigs behind my back. So I did that. I started a company with a friend of mine, who actually knew a little bit more about, computer repair than I did. And I started that pretty much the same time as I got my first programming job. And that is something we did on the side. So then a couple of years later, probably three years later or so, when I was let go, or I should say fired Uh-oh. from my last computer job, a friend of mine by then went to law school. So he didn't really have time or energy for computer repair so i was doing it myself and i just figured i'll grow that
1: got it so you were doing your computer fixing company and then you realized you wanted to open up company folders
2: not quite Um, okay (laughs) so i go fully on my own and i have no clue what i'm doing i knew how to repair computers by then I knew how to set up networks, but I really had no clue how business works. I didn't know how to find customers. Because whatever we had was, you know, you help people you know, then they tell people they know, and now you get a job or do on a weekend, you know, it's great as a side hustle. And if you go on for, for a month with no customer, that's also fine.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But but now my whole livelihood depended on that on that, and I had a you know mortgage and car payment and everything else. Um, so I just started looking for customers more and I went door to door. I would walk in places and see, if uh, I could help them fix computers and stuff. Wow. And most of the time people ask you to leave, but once in a while, what you really bank on is the fact that the moment you walk in, they have some kind of a computer problem. And if they do, you can help them fix it. For money or not, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, if they like you, they would most likely call you back. Um, so that's that's what I was doing. And literally a few months into that, a one of my customers asked me if I can do, not even if I can do, if I can help him find very nice company folders uh, because he looked around and he didn't see anything that would really help, you know him get the image he was looking for. So I figured, of course, um, because I was a service provider and and the way I saw it is my job was to really provide service for my customer. While computer repair is what I was going forward with, right, but to really be useful to my clients, I had to do everything. And Mm. if he wanted me to find company folders for him, I would find company folders for them. So I said, of course. Uh, meanwhile, I didn't really know what company folders were, um, so I had to figure that out. <laughs> and then I started looking and I realized that there really was no place out there that actually did really extravagant folders. It turned out to be regular presentation folders, right? And that's where everything came together. The Soviet Union... The lack of options, inability to express yourself, and the fact that out of all places in America, there is something that's lacking options. And the light went off, and I figured that somebody has to uh, change that. And then, of course, the next step is, where do you find they Mm -hmm. It had to be me. And that's how Company Folders was born. And actually, the reason it's called Company Folders is because my client referred to it as Company Folders. (laughs) Um, And at the same time, companyfolders.com was available. So I registered that and started building it out. And once again, I really had no clue what I was doing. But that never bothered me because I believe that you don't have to see the whole path in front of you. You just have to see your next step, right? Mm-hmm. And after your next step, you will figure out what the next step should be after that. And I'm totally fine operating under those conditions with having a lot of unknowns.
1: That's so amazing. I'm, I'm so excited to hear that. <laughs> well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about your company and what it does.
2: So, Company folders, we are a commercial printing company, and while we do everything but the books and magazines, our real specialty is presentation folders, binders, and envelopes. And where we really compete is in offering options to people that other companies do not offer. Um, what that means is, when you go to any company that offers folders, right, they they typically have few styles available. You know, some maybe even have eight styles, maybe even ten. They would have few different papers that you can choose from, right? And they those companies also usually print color process and on some rare occasions they might do spot color printing or something else like that so with us we have hundreds of different folder options right
3: Mm.
2: and i'm talking about shapes and die cuts and things like that Mm -hmm. we offer um 60 some different papers white and color and on and on different textures Mm -hmm. Uh, we do four color process and we do spot color printing like other companies but we also do foil, foil stamping, we do embossing, we do all sorts of coatings and embellishments that others don't do. And on top of that, we also do all sorts of custom work where, you know, if you can dream it, we can make it.
1: Business cards.
2: Business cards, yes. postcards, all of it. Awesome. So, and however, folders, envelopes, and binders is our true specialty that you know, nobody comes, comes close on. And if you think about it, the similarity between all those three items is that they all three serve as packaging for your documents or marketing materials, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The folder, envelope, and, and, and a binder by itself is not, doesn't do much, right? But mm-hmm. what they do do is they house your brochures, your documentations, your catalogs, your what be mm-hmm. and, and that's what we know how to do best.
1: And how old were you when you started company folders?
2: So I started the company folders in my late twenties. Um, yeah. In
1: 2003. Awesome. Awesome. So did you have to raise any capital before you started your business?
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yes, but nobody, well, I I didn't really have, I didn't know people with money who I can ask for money. Mm -hmm. So it, and the banks wouldn't give me money either because they were asking for business plans and and, and some other things and I had no clue what it was. So I figured out a way to get all sorts of um, credit cards and I started the whole thing on credit cards. And on top of that, I did it with 0% interest credit cards.
1: Where'd you get those?
2: So at the time, (laughs) they were very popular. I don't know, maybe they're still popular right now, but I used to get all sorts of offers, you know, get this credit card, and you get 12 months, 15 months, 18 months of no interest to pay off your balance.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
2: And you get... And you can not only do purchases, but on a lot of those cards, you can actually transfer balance. And I quickly realized that I can transfer that balance to my checking account. <laughs> wow. So I got all these different credit cards. Um, and I had spreadsheets of each card <laughs> and how much money I borrowed on it. And when the interest rate, you know, 0% interest rate expires. So I would open a new card and transfer the balance and on and on and on and on all that until I was able to pay everything off without paying any interest. I love it. So yes, I had to get a bit creative there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You're a a master genius on credit, transferring credit cards and paying absolutely no interest.
2: (laughs) So honestly at the time, on one hand, it did feel like that. It felt like, oh, my God, I'm doing this great thing. <laughs> but on the other hand, it also felt a little bit embarrassing deep down inside because it's like I had to you know, navigate that, and I wasn't sure. You know, coming out of Soviet Union, asking for help is a negative, bad thing, right? Because
1: right, right, right. the
2: way we were conditioned is that if you have to ask for help, that means that something is wrong with you.
1: I yeah, I can totally relate because when my dad started his business, his very first year he just lived on credit cards. So this whole thing with credit cards and something with the Soviet people. That's right. <laughs> we don't we don't we don't ask for help. But you're totally right.
2: <laughs> That's right. So so it was between wow, how cool is it that I can do that <laughs> down to well Obviously, there is a problem, and that's why I'm doing it. And of course, there was a lot of fear around. What if this doesn't work? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I can't pay back the money.
3: So
1: I, I'm I'm assuming you operated fear to make it work.
2: Well, at the time, I did. Uh, and over the years, I learned how to separate fear from reality. From everything else.
1: Awesome. I love it. So did you prepare yourself in any way, like taking courses, going to events, or reading books that would prepare you for what you
2: do? I did not necessarily prepare myself ahead of time, at least not in any conscious way whatsoever. However, being a programmer helped quite a bit because I was able to do my own first website and then because I knew programming and I actually understood coding and I understood the internet period, right, at the time, I was able to do my own search engine optimization in the beginning and start getting traction for the website. In retrospect, that that was very, very important and I did that until I got to the point where I was able to hire somebody to do that full-time. Um, actually, I take it back. At first, I, I hired somebody to do it like on project basis, uh, and then I was able to hire somebody full time. But after I started the business, and as I and and funny funny thing is that looking back now, I can tell you hundred percent I had no clue what I was doing, and I had no knowledge of anything business related at the time. However, I didn't think so. I actually had a lot of confidence and I thought that I know everything I needed to know. Mm. So in retrospect, that's helpful because if I didn't think I knew what I was doing, then I wouldn't be able to do anything. But through that, I made a lot of mistakes that I learned from. But then I also realized that there are books and that I can listen to. Mm -hmm. I'm not much of a reader, but once I discovered Audible uh, books.
1: Yes.
2: I started listening to books every single day in the morning for at Mm. least an hour. And I would go on on a walk or bike ride. And believe it or not, I still do it to this day. Mm. And I only listen to business books, biographies, or self-help kind of a deal. Um, Basically, any book that helps me in my business or my life somehow.
1: That's amazing. That's so powerful. And the reason why I ask this question is because a lot of immigrants think that they need to first go take a bunch of courses, that they need to first to go get a bunch of licenses and degrees, and then they can start their own businesses. But more often than not, and I'm not discounting you know, education, I'm not discounting degrees and licenses, but more often than not, what I'm hearing is you really don't need a whole lot of education you can start where you're at right now and just do it so that's so powerful how you're just showing proof of of just go ahead and do it and then you'll learn
2: (laughs) and that is that is the bottom line Mm -hmm. start doing something you will always either make it work or pivot to something different like it happened in my case It just, the starting is is the hardest part.
1: So I'm really interested to know, how do you look at failures and how do you overcome them?
2: I actually don't believe in a failure at all. Uh, My motto is that anything I do, I either enjoy it or I learn from it. Mm -hmm. Which means that if I did something that didn't work, in other words, if I failed, I I don't see it as a failure. I see it as a learning curve or a learning opportunity. And sometimes that costs a lot of money and sometimes it doesn't, but I'm equally excited because I learned something. My understanding is that when we're old, we will never regret what we tried and failed at, but we will regret not trying. And that's the one thing I would like to avoid is regret of not trying.
1: Amazing. Amazing. That's, that's, that's very powerful and I'm sure a lot of immigrants listening are learning and soaking it all in from you, so thank you for sharing that. Let's chat a little bit about successes now, now that we've overcome all the failures and we don't have failures, but before you get to answer the question, I just want to prep you. The reason why I ask about successes is to show the immigrants that they can do it too. So with that, I'll leave it up to you to share whatever success you would like with our listeners.
2: In response to a question like that, probably requires a good amount of time to really consider like, where really success is. But um, the one thing that comes to mind is that when we went on our honeymoon in 2005, I've been in business for two years, and I was struggling. And, and if I was making money, it was so little that it didn't matter. So we went uh, on a honeymoon and and we stayed in this and we met this couple. They were in their fifties and uh, the guy turned out to be in printing, which obviously piqued my interest and we started talking and and I asked him, I I asked him what his revenues were, you know, the sales. Mm -hmm. And he told me that his sales were $800,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, that is so cool. Obviously, my company will never be that big, but if I could hit quarter million dollars, that would be awesome.
3: Mm-hmm. Because
2: at the time, I think my yearly revenue was like maybe, I don't know, $30,000.
3: Something. Mm-hmm.
2: So as the result of everything that happened in the past 17 years or 15 since since that experience, um, my company has been featured on Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America for three consecutive years.
3: Wow.
2: And revenue wise, we are way into the millions. Wow. And my original thought of, you know, hitting quarter million dollars is just at this point seems laughable.
1: Wow, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um is giving back either volunteering or giving back to the community something that is part of your business values?
2: It is not part of our business values. We have four values that we live by. That would be develop daily, which basically means that we all constantly push ourselves to learn something new every single day, add value, deliver excellence, and elevate others. Our four core values are all about what we do, how we do it, how we treat others, and how we learn, right? Because those are really important things. With that said, we do give back because I I believe in in giving back, especially that um, so much was given to to my family when we first came here so for example when we first came here there is an organization in detroit called hebrew free loan and what they do is they give people in need an interest free loan for certain causes and one of them was uh, when russian jewish immigrants came to detroit uh, the hebrew free loan would give uh, people two thousand dollars to buy a car, because in Detroit, there is no public transportation. And I remember that. Wow. And when time came, I joined Hebrew Free Loan uh, as a board member, and I'm still on the board of Hebrew Free Loan, where I help them with, you know, financially, of course, but most importantly, um, I help with my time. Mm. And I conduct interviews with people and, and help people uh, get the money. I also I'm also part of a organization called EO Entrepreneurs Organization, which I joined in 2012. Nice. Uh, and through that, I have spent several years being on the board locally for Detroit chapter. I was also uh, on a regional board, and I was also spent time on a global committee. It's a global organization, um uh, Thirteen or 14,000 members, so I spend some time on the global board as well.
1: Wow, amazing.
2: Outside of that, through the business, um, periodically I would help people who actually need help, whether it would be design a logo, Mm -hmm. business cards, folders, and on and on. The only thing is I get Way more satisfaction from helping people direct. I did donate before for fundraisers and all, but but then, you know, mm-hmm. our organization is ran.
3: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of
2: times, 75 85% of the money they raise goes to administrative causes, which is mm-hmm. pay people's salary as opposed to really help the cause that they're working with. So when I know good people starting businesses or, or whatever else, on uh, and, and many occasions, I would. Help them with whatever I could help them with. Mm-hmm.
1: You're giving back in so many ways.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's, that's I, I amazing. Actually, over time, I realized that when people do that, they don't do it for the gain to themselves. Right. They, <laughs> we're, not in the, no. we're not in
1: the Soviet Union anymore. <laughs> that's
2: right. That's right.
1: So I'm interested to know did you have any mentors that helped you out to start your business?
2: Unfortunately, I did not. Mm -hmm. I did not know at the time that there could be such a thing. However, I was told on numerous occasions that I have an inquisitive mind and I do ask a lot of questions. And through that, I would get, how do you put this? Not part-time mentors, but more like occasional mentoring Mm -hmm. from people I would meet. And if I, and I would ask questions, I would probe and, and, and if I felt that, the person would have the knowledge i needed at the moment i would try and ask for it
1: you had invisible mentors
2: <laughs> that's right yes that's
1: right. we love those
2: <laughs> Yep. Yeah.
1: awesome awesome so what are some things you would advise of the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business listening to you right now
2: the bottom line is trust your gut and do i don't want to say that it doesn't matter what you do it obviously does but it matters way less than actually doing stuff there are a lot of things i tried that did not work out right they Mm -hmm. just did not work out i don't see it as a failure even though that's how most people will see it that they failed and it's all right but unless you take the first step you can never take the second and if you 5, ten, 25 steps in and it's not working. well move to the side and, and, and take other steps, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But mm-hmm. the thing is that eventually it does work. It's just how the world works. That's how universe works. That's what law of attraction said, that whatever mm-hmm. we put out there, via our intent is really what we get back.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, So I'm going to wrap up with these super fast, quick questions. Sure. Um, are you ready? I am. Okay. What time do you normally start your day?
2: I wake up. So I don't use an alarm. I have not used an alarm probably since, well, since I really started my business. So wow. we're talking about 17 years. That's amazing. Um, I'm usually up around six o'clock, give or take.
1: No matter what time you go to sleep, you, you your body just wakes up at six.
2: Yes. Other than if I go to sleep late, um, it's harder to wake up and then I'm not as functional. So I just make sure I do not go to sleep late. I'm usually in bed uh, before 10 o'clock and I do my morning routine. As I mentioned before, is when I go for a walk or bike ride and I listen to books and then I come back and I make myself a bulletproof coffee. You know, shower, get ready, and then whatever the day is. But the morning routine never changes.
1: I think we just discovered what your your secret sauce to success is, your bulletproof coffee.
2: <laughs> the bulletproof coffee, actually, yes, it helps a lot.
1: What's in your bulletproof coffee? Is, is it a secret sec- uh, a recipe? No, no, there is
2: a guy. His name is Dave Asprey. He's the one who came up with the term. Oh. It basically is a coffee, uh, and By his definition, uh, you put a tablespoon of grass-fed butter and a tablespoon of coconut oil or MCT oil, Uh and you blend it together. So, I do not use butter. I just put a couple tablespoons of MCT oil, which is an extract of coconut oil. Um, And what that does, it gives your body important fats, good fats. Mm that provide energy for the rest of the day. And that is all I eat in the morning until lunch and sometimes until dinner.
1: Wow, amazing, I'm gonna have to try that.
2: (laughs) Really good stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many employees do you have?
2: We are close to 20 people right now.
1: Awesome. How often do you watch TV in a
2: week? Well, I don't watch TV every week. I usually do if, so it depends on the weather.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> if 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 the weather is, is, is such that you don't want to go outside, then I would watch a movie or a show
3: mm-hmm.
2: with my kids. But that's really, and very, very rarely,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I
2: would watch a movie by myself or with my wife.
1: Awesome. How many hours of work do you normally put in? I don't know. I'm sure it varies, but like on average right now...
2: I, it's really hard to say because what do you constitute as work, right? Um, <laughs>
1: I get that all the time. I don't work. It's my passion. I work all the that's, time, that's, but it's my that's passion. Really,
2: that's really the bottom line. I don't yes. think it's work at all. Um, yes. <laughs> but, you know, my morning routine, when I listen to books, that's not work, but that impacts my work tremendously. Anytime I talk to other entrepreneurs, or I go to EO events, or I take courses, or go to conferences, it's not work, but it is, right? Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm, yes. yes. When, I,
2: when I help people, clients, it's not work, but it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, anywhere between, you know, all of my time and none of my time... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I honestly don't think that there is a way to put it now.
1: No worries. No, I'll take that. I'll take that. (laughs) Okay. So the last one is what is your favorite food?
2: Favorite food?
1: Is it Ukrainian food?
2: No, it's not. (laughs) I actually, so obviously it changes. When the COVID started, I am part of a biohacking group, and and there was a lot of talk and, and, and through that, and then through some additional uh, learning, um, I, I figured out that greens are really important for us to to kind of keep us healthier. And I developed a new salad, which I call green salad, but now most of my friends refer to it as Vladimir's salad. <laughs>
3: um,
2: and basically, I go to Whole Foods, and I buy all the greens that they have that are organic. mm mm-hmm. And we're talking about Italian parsley, curly, pars- curly parsley, uh, cilantro, scallions, dill, basil,
3: mm.
2: spinach, everything that's green. And I chop everything up very, very small. Uh, I add some walnuts to it. And then I make my own dressing, which is uh, olive oil, lemon, and salt. And I really love that salad.
1: Wow. That's uh, like a superfood packed in one salad.
2: Yep. Yep. And I also like sushi.
1: Nice. Nice. Awesome. Well, Vladimir, thank you so, so much for coming on to my show. You're a true inspiration. You started your company from bottom to up, living on credit cards, and everyone listening to you right now is completely inspired. So keep on doing your amazing work. You're giving back in so, so many ways, and I'm truly honored to have you on the show. So Thank you so much, and I'm sending you more successes and blessings and, and warm wishes your way.
2: Thank you, Alina, and keep in mind that what you do is also very important. Uh, thank you. Partially, maybe even more important than what I do, because... No, no, it's not. <laughs> you provide an inspiration to others to make their you... dreams come true. <laughs> no, very...
1: you guys you guys are all the inspiration. so thank you so much. I appreciate your time, and I'm so honored to talk to you.
2: Thank you for having me on. Bye.
0: Alrighty guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you got some awesome wise advice from Vladimir. I know I got so much useful immigrant entrepreneurial advice. If you're listening to this and you're an immigrant entrepreneur and would love to be on my podcast, go ahead and email me at hello at alinawarwick.com. I'll be happy to have you on my podcast. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.